Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Beyond Grid with me, your host, Robert Young. So today my guest is Ed Williams and I've known him for quite a while, um, met him at the gym and I've known him and his family, like I said, for uh, quite a few years. Um, he just made a recent job change. So he started out in teaching and he was a middle school teacher, went from Florida to Colorado, from Colorado over here to North Carolina, where he taught. And then um, after teaching, he went and worked for the Ridge Church and he was um, running their youth program. Um, but he felt like he needed, like there was time to make a change. Um, in this next change, he moved to an organization. It's a um, nonprofit organization called um, Eyes Up for Life. And the story behind this is fascinating. And it has to do with our kids and the pressures that um, are put on our kids, whether we put it on them, society puts on them, or their peers put on them. And um, these kids, they didn't have an avenue to talk to or or trust. Um, And I think a lot of times kids feel like they're the only one that are having struggles and problems where now it's a a lot of them, the majority of them are having issues and, and troubles. And we sit back and we try to think about like, they're going to the great schools, they have great opportunities, why are they so stressed? And those are the things that we even as parents need to realize that, wow, you know, we're, we're putting a lot of stress on them um, from home And now there's all these stressors in their everyday life at school. Um, Like the top 10 things teenagers struggle with, acceptance, stress, depression, anxiety, self-harm, bullying, desensitization, sex, um, disrespect, trust, and motivation. And those are, you know, you can go on multiple websites and find out what top 10 are. But I would say eight of those come up all the time that kids are struggling with. Um, this organization is is starting and what they want to do, they want to give, you know, peer groups to talk about this, to see how kids are feeling, to see what their stress is out and why are their stresses there. Um, We just had such a great conversation and it was eye-opening for me as a parent um, because I've got an 18-year-old and I've got a 21-year-old and as they were coming up, they're going through all these stresses and and problems and issues and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, Now, you know, I'm, I'm learning and I'm figuring it out. And it's one of those things where hopefully as they raise their kids, they will be aware of the different social issues that, you know, hit these kids all the time. You know, starting from a young age, whether it be, you know, three or four years old and we're getting them tutors and we're getting them coaches and we're, we're pushing them, you know, they're going to be this D1 athlete or they're going to go to Harvard and they're going to go to Duke and you've got to do this and you've got to have good grades and yada, yada, bam, bam, bam. And they're getting hit daily. Um, So it's just something that was really eye opening and resonated with me. Um, And we talk about this. This is one thing that really kind of changed for every one Time One time that we compliment, whether it be our kids or somebody, you know, in the workspace, an employee, every one time, there's six 
criticisms. There's six, you could probably do better, or why did you do this, or why didn't you do this, to every, man, I'm proud of you, and, and I'm excited for you, and that was a great job. And it's things that we think about, but don't always let them come out of our mouth. So um, I thought this this was one of my favorite interviews um, just because I think it hit home and I think it kind of hits home to a lot of people, especially raising um, kids and raising teenagers. And um, so, like I said, get a cup of coffee, get something to drink, sit back and enjoy this interview. And I hope you guys like it. Take care. I'm good, Rob. What's up? Man? It's good. So we just sat here and we did a complete podcast without even turning the mics on. We had we conversations it. about everything. It's a warm up. It's a warm up. So how have you been? Doing well. Good. Doing well. Good. I love this weather, man. When it gets cold like this or starts getting cold, yeah, I thrive. I love fall. Yeah. And I've I've gone through, I've done, you know, tons of the intro monologues. And the only thing I can talk about right now is the fall. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I like when I can start putting my sweatshirt on, putting jeans on. And I never thought that I would actually say this because coming from the north, hmm. about this time and probably coming up in about two days, the sky will turn gray and the, the sky will turn gray until maybe like April, March, <laughs> it'll start going back uh, and forth. And I thought I will never, never not like the sun. Right. By the middle of August, I'm done with the sun here. Yeah. Place is hot. Yeah, man. You're just ready. ready yeah. For, like, like you said, hoodies. I know. Where'd you grow up? So I, I grew up in Florida. Okay. I was born in South Florida, but raised in North Central Florida. What town? Uh, right around Gainesville. So there's a tiny, tiny town, like 30 minutes outside of Gainesville called Hawthorne. But then I moved in high school. I moved to Gainesville. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My parents live, well, my whole family lives in the Orlando area. So yeah. they are Winter Springs. My sister lives in Winter Springs. Parents in DeBerry. And then my other sister's in Deltona. Yeah. And they've got, you know, all their kids and everybody live there. Yeah. That's where Jen, my wife is from. Winter, oh. Winter Springs. Oh, is she? Yeah. Yeah. She went That's to a Oviedo nice little area. School. It's amazing. It's great. I mean, if you can avoid Orlando, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> They've been working on the roads on I-4 forever. Yeah. And there was a big stretch between my parents' house, 95, to DeBerry that was shut down forever and down to like a two-lane. And then once they widened it, it's a game changer, yeah. but they're doing that all through Orlando and, uh, it's busy. Oh yeah, man. I'm so glad busy. we got out of there. So we left there. We both, I met Jen in Gainesville, um, at university of Florida. And then we moved to Colorado and we were in Colorado for nine years until 11 years ago when we came here. We're in Colorado. We're yet Colorado Springs. Yeah. And you miss yeah. it. I miss some of it. Mm -hmm. I miss, it's like 300 days of sunshine out there. It's like almost no clouds. Yeah. Uh, it's high desert, so it's just so dry, but man, every morning waking up and looking at the front range and then you talk about snow, 
there's a time of year, it usually happens in September, but in Colorado Springs, you have this beautiful view of Pikes Peak, um, which is this 14,000 foot mountain right on the front range. Um, you can see it from forever away and that you wake up and there's snow and mm. it's like, and it's capped and you're like, everybody, it's a big day. Like everybody, wow. oh, there's snow on the peak. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. So I miss some of that. I miss the people, man. We had great people there, but, uh, I don't know. It's nice to be close to water again. Yeah. Yeah. I miss the water being from Florida. Yeah. Swimming and just like, I don't know, getting in the Springs or going to the beach Yeah, and like Pueblo Reservoir. <laughs> It's like the only body of water anywhere close to Colorado Springs. Now, are you a beach person or a mountain person? Or are I'm you kind like of both. 50-50? Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50. I feel pretty good at both. Yeah. Played a lot of volleyball. And so love the beach, love the waves and just being in the water. I feel really comfortable in the water. I don't get too freaked out. A lot of people don't like to go out, but I always swim out to the sandbar. Oh. And, you know, body surf and stuff out there. Yeah. And like, I like being in the ocean. But man, I love getting out and backpacking and being in the mountains too. So good. We're, that... You just posted something on Instagram. It was like a little video and you guys had your, your hammocks kind of stacked one on top of each other. Is that, was that recent or? Yeah, yeah. That was a couple weekends ago. Yeah. Where'd you guys go? Um, uh, what's it called? Short off mountain. It's up above Linville Gorge. Yes. And, uh, actually we were kind of chatting back and forth about it on Instagram. Yes. And it's a real short, but steep hike up and then you're on the ridge. So it's maybe a mile and three quarters, maybe. And then you're right up and it's just gorgeous views looking down into that valley that the gorge is at the bottom mm -hmm. of. And then, yeah. And so we had our hammock set up on separate trees, but my wife, Jen, would not have that. She's like, no, no, no. You got to be closer. Oh, really? Than that. Yeah. Um, not because she wanted to cuddle or be close yeah. to me. But she, if something was going to eat us, she wanted it to get to me first. So it's so funny. Everybody thinks that, <laughs> that something's going to eat us here. And, <laughs> and I, I just went backpacking and we did, um, a trip over to, um, Mount Mitchell state yeah. park and we did a loop and it was supposed to be two nights. And, um, the first night was, was good, but for some reason, God, I couldn't get comfortable. Like my mm. back was hurting, hips were hurting back. I was back from my side to my back, from my side to my back. And I'm laying there and um, we just recently purchased a, a mountain house. Oh, very cool. Yeah, well, it was an hour away. And as I'm laying there, I was like, maybe we just hike out tomorrow and then we go there and we can have steaks on the yeah, grill by beers. eight o'clock. So. I threw that out to the, the guys <laughs> and they were like, well, sounds good. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. But we, it, but it wasn't an easy hike out the next day because right. we planned on two nights. So we were probably hiking, um, I don't know, eight hours, seven and a half, eight hours to get out with our packs. But we did the uh, deep gap trail, okay. which was super cool. So you went over like five peaks, but you were down up and down and, the elevation gain from day one and to day two was incredible. And uh, our knees and, and ankles were feeling it. Oh, I'm sure. But but are these all guys from the gym? Like, are you these guys you work out with? Yeah, they're guys from the gym. Yeah. But still, you know, as you know, putting that pack, that pack on. But so getting back to the very first night, the very first night, I always put earplugs in. Mm -hmm. And when I go to sleep, because I'm like, I don't want to hear every single noise because it's 99.9% .9 of the time. It's nothing. It's right. wind or maybe it is something scurrying past your tent. I don't want to hear it. And so I went and uh, I was sharing a tent with Eric and this was his very first time backpacking. And 
um, camping out at night no over there. No way. I know Eric. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Me. That's shocking. So I'm laying there. I, I started to get cold. The fire wasn't keeping us warm. So I'm like, okay, I'm out. And when I get cold, I'm going into my, <laughs> my tent and getting in my uh, sleeping bag. So I put my, got everything set, put my earplugs in and I'm laying there. And then Eric kind of came in, he's doing his thing. And I hear yelling and I not yelling like somebody, you know, is hurt yelling, yelling that they want something to leave, you know? So this guy is like, roar, yell, roar. And I was like, I knew exactly what it was. And Eric is, he's like, do you hear that? I'm like, uh, pulling it. I was like, what is it? He's like, there's a bear in cam. I was like, okay. So I, I had done all the things that you're supposed to do. I had my food away and he goes, do I need to get my food and stuff away? And I've got my candy and all. I was like, yeah. Probably. He had it with you guys he in the it. tent? Yeah, he had it by in the little vestibule. I was like, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea to go put it in, in the bag out there hanging oh, up. Oh, no. So he went and did that. And then I'm laying there and I remember I had, and this is good lessons for people backpacking. I had my bathroom pack in there with my deodorant. Yeah, yeah. It's not stuff. supposed to keep that. Man, you're not supposed to keep that. So I grabbed that, walked it out and put it away. And I came back and I, I laid back down. I put my plugs in and i woke up at like four in the morning i was like the bear doesn't want to eat you right? right do the right things get your food away the bear wants your food that bear's hungry and uh but the dan and uh ross ended up seeing it you know and they saw the bear it was a smaller bear but it was just curious and the bear would would kind of scurry away and sit there and look and then do circles back. It just wanted to eat. I wanted to eat your food. Keep a clean sight. And uh, it's not that scary. But yeah, they everybody thinks they want to eat you. Now, yeah. a grizzly, that's a different story. Right. I'm not, uh, you know, I haven't made it over to grizzly. Yeah, me either. You Montana know, st- and yeah. areas. And just because of that and... I know that it's probably fine and that's where, you know, you need your bear spray and you need to be, you know, vigilant on where those animals are because we, we hike quiet. We're quiet hikers, Nicole and I, and, um, and we've been through Colorado and Utah and Idaho and, uh, and we're looking for animals, but I don't want to run across the grizzly. Well, dude, in Idaho, you could. Yeah. Well, we were in the South. Okay. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah. But yeah, getting up into that panhandle near, um, uh, what is that? Montana, uh, is that Montana Canada. and Canada. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, mm. yeah, man. but we're going to get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Like on our road trip, we almost made it to Montana but yeah. because of COVID half of Glacier was closed. So we, we were just through Southern Montana, through Idaho, getting over to Washington. So but and, yeah, I want to go back to that part of the country pretty bad. And that was, uh, so you guys went on how long was that trip yeah i I, uh went to my boss you know where pandemic started or you know we kind of the lockdown started in march and went to my boss in july i was just done man so i had had been um at ridge for that that point seven years and the pandemic had just dramatically like everybody had affected how i do my job and it suddenly wasn't the job that i had signed on to do and i was beat down discouraged felt so unsuccessful so i went to my boss man i'd really like to take a leave of absence 
a sabbatical, like if you guys would let me. And this isn't an ultimatum by any by any means, but like I honestly think that if I don't have a chance to take a break, I may never, I may just quit and never come back. Mm. So they agreed and man, yeah, we took off for eight weeks. Yeah. So we drove around the country. We, we bought a van, took money out of our emergency savings and bought a van and took a bunch of bench seats out of the back of it. Like it was a, I wish it was a big tall transit, you know, like a sprinter van, but it was a Ford Econo line, but it yeah. only had like 23,000 miles on it or something like that. And Stripped it down, put bed in the back, camper, like tent on top, cargo box up on top. And yeah, Jen, my wife, and then Lily, Annie, our two daughters who were um, going, she was, let's see, Annie was in eighth grade. She was, had started her eighth grade year. I was about to because mm-hmm. we left before school even started. And Lily was starting her junior year of high school. And so we just took off from, um, from here, went down to Florida then up to Michigan, saw friends in Grand Haven. Man, Michigan, once it's gorgeous. Grand up Haven, there. yes. Holy smokes. Yep. That's like a beach town. Yeah. In Michigan. It was so cool. Yeah, Grand Haven, we've camped over there with some buddies, and the beach over there is amazing. It was amazing. We were skimboarding with them and like running <laughs> around in the water, and it was so fun. Uh, and then we took off around the country all the way out to Washington. Yeah, and then fires kept us out of California, so we headed back inland into the into the desert, like to Nevada, Utah, and we hit the you know the big ones in Utah, and then went back. Let's see, we went due south to Saguaro National Park to see cactus. My daughter Lily, she's she just said she had a vision of she wanted to camp next to one of those super tall cactuses. Oh, really? Yeah, they made the list, man. Like we said, hey, where do you want to go? So we had 123 stops. And, uh, and that was one of them. She wanted to be near a cactus. So we went to Saguaro. <laughs> That's a funny story in and of itself, man. The lady who was booking the campsites for us, you don't just go out into the, in that part of Arizona down near Mexico, you don't just necessarily just go out into the Bureau of Land Management. Like we did everywhere else, like just free camping everywhere. There's yep. free camping everywhere out there. Um, but so we went in and found a campsite cause we wanted to be near water, <laughs> uh, and Jen called to reserve a site and the lady just laughed and said, yeah, you, any site you want, you're literally going to be, I think there are two other people in this 148 campsite place. Oh, wow. two, you'll be one of three people or groups in there. And so we went in and camped. Yeah, it was funny. Coyotes walk, like we literally watching coyotes, like walk down the, the road yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But then back through California and then all the way home. It was, it was amazing. Incredible. We went, when we did our out west um, with the kids, we did um, more on like um, the Sedona mm-hmm. and Zion mm-hmm. and Bryce and all that. And we did that loop. And on our way back into Phoenix, that was the first time I saw the, the giant cactus. Yeah. And it was cool because I, you know, um, at that time, I think I was probably 46 years old. Mm-hmm. And... I, the only place I ever saw those were Roadrunner, yes, you know, on, on the Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and I was like, that's so cool. And the kids are back there sleeping. Yeah. Like, oh, like whatever. Kids, wake up. Look at this. Yeah. Oh, no, that's cactus. cool. Cool. Thanks. And cacti. And uh, no, that was good because you had, I mean, it was, it's been a, quite a big year and changes for you guys from that beginning and and i'm sure we'll get to you know going through there and and what led you there um but you grew up in florida yeah um were you only child or no so younger brother okay but 
man, I don't know. Some people are going to be listening and be like, what the hell? Like, this is, what is this guy talking about? So I have a half sister that I've never met. Okay. Because my dad, my mom was my dad's sixth wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he had a daughter from a previous marriage and she didn't really want to have anything to do with him. And so by the time I'm born, she's probably a teenager, maybe early 20s, maybe even. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was 45 when I was born. And so, and my younger brother, my mom was 20. So 45 and 20. My dad was a highway patrolman, Florida highway patrol. Okay. And uh, my mom was a waitress. And then uh, I think they got married because she was pregnant with me. With you. All yeah. right. <laughs> and so they got married. I mean, I don't know why it didn't work out. You know, a 45 year old highway patrolman and a pregnant waitress. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, but then in three years later, my brother was born. So they stayed together at least that long. But while okay. my brother was an infant, my mom left. So the state awarded custody to my dad because he had more family around to support raising the two of us. Okay. Which is really weird. You know, it's that's highly unusual right. for kids. And this is the seventies, you know, to be awarded, like for the dad to be awarded custody. It's almost always the mom, but in yeah. this scenario, the courts thought that it would be best, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So we grew up in some tiny little trailer, 35 foot travel trailer. My dad thought for sure we're going to win the Kentucky Derby. He had horses <laughs> like, so he's a poor man in a very rich man's game. Yeah. And, uh, man, we were just stayed poor because we're trying to feed these horses and take care of these horses. So I was raised around quarter horses, okay. going to quarter horse tracks and having jockeys around and stuff like these little guys around our house, you know, our trailer training horses and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. My dad remarried one time while we were, you know, still living with him. And then my, they were married for a short time, separated, got back together. And then she finally divorced him. So that was seven. Yeah. And then uh, at that point, we that's when we moved to Gainesville. I was in 10th grade. Okay. And uh, lived, moved in with my granddad because my dad no longer had any money to have all these horses and to do any of that stuff. We moved in with my granddad and... Uh, it wasn't long before my dad and granddad just, you know, could not get along. And my granddad asked my dad to leave. And we asked my grandpa, my papa, like, hey, can we stay? Can we stay here? And dad's like, you want to stay here? Fine. And so he left. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, we lived with my granddad from 10th grade through high school. So there's there's all kinds of repercussions because of that. I mean, okay, imagine a scenario where you're in high school. You have a high school brain, high school boy brain, nonetheless. And... No one's checking if your homework's done. No one cares where you are. No one. It's not that my grandpa didn't care about me. He just wasn't going to keep up with everything I was up to. Right. So I'm cutting school, going skateboarding, going to play volleyball, going staying at a girlfriend's house, whatever. I barely graduated high school. I opened the little folder when you go back to your seat. Uh-huh. And I literally paused and said a short prayer that my diploma would be inside. <sighs> like a 1.7 GPA I graduated <sighs> high school with. It was brutal. My brother dropped out. Did he? Yeah. Sold a lot of weed back then. His nickname was the Bionic Chronic. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> in Gainesville at that time. Now is he? Do you still? Oh yeah, he and I are still in touch, man. Yeah. And it's so funny how women save us, man. Mm. I feel like <laughs> they save us. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. raising my hand. You're raising your hand. Um, he met a girl like in a pool league. He had dropped out. He was like cooking burgers, literally flipping burgers. That thing that you're, what are you going to do? Flip burgers? He was literally yep. flipping burgers, waking up, hitting the bong and going and starting a shift at the, at the grill. So flipping burgers, met this girl in a pool league in Gainesville. She was a English literature major. 
like at University of Florida, comes from a great family, sharp, like she's, you know, has aspirations. Mm -hmm. And he starts getting his life together. I got to go back to school, got his computer um, animation degree from Full Sail University in Orlando, Florida, and uh, got a job, couldn't find, immediately couldn't find an animation job or working in a studio. So um, tech jobs were available. So he jumped on a tech job, was hating it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, 9-11 happened. And suddenly um, he saw ads for TSA and hiring Border Patrol and all of this stuff. And my dad being in law enforcement, my brother thought, I'm just going to apply. Yeah. I'll be super honest yeah. about all the drugs, about everything, like all of that. He was. And it's so he went from the bionic chronic to a Border Patrol agent in Laredo, Texas. Wow. And he was there for six years. All the cartel stuff happening literally right across the border. The stories he would tell me, the pictures he'd send me laying across literally bales of weed like wrapped in the you know the saran wrap stuff yeah um yeah and then his wife and they had two kids and they couldn't take they're like man we got to get out of this place i don't want to raise my kids here so he transferred finally to uh the canadian border a little, little quiet up there oh in, yeah in montana on the canadian border and they patrolled by snowmobile oh <laughs> and four-wheelers um sometimes horseback i think yeah yeah, and so uh, and then man, that was too lonely. So they went from one ditch to the other, and uh, yeah, so he ended up actually transferring into customs, and now he's a like a chief of customs agent in um, uh, Fort Lauderdale Airport. Okay, so yeah, he did he's, a little he's, he's circle. Done the tour. So they're back near her family. Okay, so that's yeah, and near my mom. My mom's still down there. Okay, yeah, and you still have a relationship with your yeah. mom? Yeah, yeah, my mom and I still like uh, it was like you know every other weekend at first and then okay. it was like once a month and then you know as i got older we just see her less and less and now we see her a few times a year but she's in Cocoa beach okay yeah. so yeah we go down and hang at the beach and see her and yeah it's amazing where you know life takes you if you kind of let it yeah and those i always get like you know the border patrol i'm <laughs> on, on the the texas mexican border i would probably be like ah, no i don't know about that montana border yeah. you know back and forth i was like eh, maybe 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 i could do that i did that some training in michigan with pretty hard winners i don't know if they're montana winners but i, I don't think michigan they're montana winners. winners yeah um you get up where we were we were kind of um protected so you'd get the lake effect snow coming off of lake michigan okay. and it would always kind of push east but that when it got to us we didn't get a lot of snow okay there were years that we had a lot of snow um the gray was always there and the cold was always there and right. it's funny now i vacation to where it's cold so we don't really go to vacations in the summertime we'll go in the winter time and we'll go skiing or we'll go to the mountains or we'll go fall to the mountains yeah and uh not, it's weird the yeah. way it all changes yeah we want what we don't have yeah that was the joke in colorado there were more skiers in florida and more scuba divers in colorado you want what you don't have yeah, yeah. well it makes it interesting yeah because then you're right. like oh i can't wait for that period of time i get to go yeah. and move and and i always think if we we move to it because we we've, we've talked about moving west and i'm like if you move to it is it just going to become life will i go driving and see those mountains and see those things but then a year later you're driving and you don't see, you don't them. see them so you you get a little conflicted yeah i had a good friend in colorado and he loved fly fishing had grown up with his dad doing it he became a guide and, and took out in fact he took out you'll love this 
Barry Sanders was one of the people he took out oh. fly fishing. Um, Goldie Hawn. He had some like he word had gotten out, and he was like one of the guys in Gunnison, Colorado. Okay, it made him hate fishing. Yeah, he quit it. He went back. To, he went back to teaching. He was a teacher. Went to fly fishing guide. Back to teaching. Yeah. Now, did you start out um, when you graduated? Where'd you go to school? Uh, so I went to school at University of Florida. Well, I, with a one seven, I didn't get Woo. into Florida. Yeah. So I went to Santa Fe Community College okay. and then transferred, learned some study habits there and, uh, and then, but then transferred into University of Florida as a junior. So my junior year graduated from there and then that's, and, uh, let's see, we stayed one year in Gainesville after we graduated, Jen and I were engaged, we got married in Gainesville and then we had always wanted to live in Colorado. Uh, talk about the road trip we did with our daughters in 98 when we were in college we took like an 8,000 mile road trip around the U.S. over six weeks in a Volkswagen van thought okay. we were hippies one of my friends from art school Jen and I we were all in art school together and uh, yeah man we drove all over the country it was great in Colorado we just like man we love it I had a former roommate that was there that we got to stay with he showed us as a local like all the great spots love Colorado Springs and so, yeah, after we got married, we're like, well, let's stay with our people for this first year of being married, stay around our friends, have that support, figure this out with some people around, and then we'll move. And so we moved. We didn't have jobs. We just had a place to stay for a short time. We knew we had about three months probably to figure out and find jobs out there. Both of us had our teaching degrees, and she had taught for two years already, moved out there, and yeah, and started making a life in Colorado. And we were there for nine years, taught. So I taught middle school, U.S. history and world geography for nine years and coach volleyball okay in colorado and in middle school and in a middle how school. is middle school man it's so funny people seem to hate they're like oh man i don't like middle school. i love middle schoolers particularly as an educator mm -hmm. because okay it's two factors one they're still teachable um they uh they're a little bit afraid of you they're curious um, but they're not as needy as little, little kids where yeah. you have to open their milk for them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but high school, um, at that time, man, I was thankful I wasn't teaching high school because high schoolers, they don't necessarily, they don't want to listen to you. They're not afraid of you. Yeah. Um, they're start, you know, starting to have their own ideas Those crazy kids getting their own ideas. Uh, so I, I don't know. I was really, really happy teaching middle school. I loved it. And okay. so when I, when we left Colorado, and we left um, in 2010 to come to, man, I, I thought this is the most country sounding place ever, Waxhaw, North Carolina. Because <laughs> um, I had grown up, there's a show called Hee Haw. And so yeah. that's all I could think about. And so we were moving here because my wife's family had left Winter Springs, Florida. They had left Orlando and had moved to Waxhaw, North Carolina. And okay, so, so that was your draw that here. That was our draw. So we, we visited several times. Um, our girls are getting older by this point. They're six and three and... We were seeing grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins like on the holidays, but the day to day, we didn't have that interaction. Meanwhile, my wife's sister and husband and her two boys, their boys were around grandma all the time. Like grandma's watching them. They're always having dinner together. They're doing, and our girls are not. Their grandma's, you know, somebody they get to see every once in a while. Yeah. Aunt, Aunt Kimmy, somebody they see once, every once in a while. So we decided, man, let's pack it up. It had a great life. I thought we'd retire in Colorado. Yeah. But um, I just, Jen's happiness and that kind of fulfilling that part of it for our girls seem more important. So yeah. we moved here. I know. I, 
I, I struggle because we moved from Michigan and the kids were young mm -hmm. and that's where grandma and grandpa are. and grandma and grandpa, you know, my, um, sister-in-law Stacy, and she's got two kids and they're always around them. And then I have three siblings and they're in Michigan or, or I mean in Florida. Okay. And all the grandkids are around grandma and grandma and we're kind of stuck in the middle. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know, I guess, and it's probably selfish, like, I don't know if I can move down to Florida and stay there. Yeah. And I don't know if I can move back to Michigan and stay there right. and and be happy. And it, it was a, you know, and you, you could put it down to selfish, you know, yeah. and we needed a change. And and um, Charlotte, Nicole had been coming down here for about a year and a half. Um, and this was, this was our spot. Yeah. And it feels good. And we're happy here and we're comfortable here. Yeah. But yeah, the kids missed out on that. Yeah. And they only get to see them every now and then. And Right. So there was there was a trade-off. Yeah. But it was funny because within a few years of us being here, um, Jen's brother-in-law got a phenomenal job that took them to um, Potomac, Maryland. So then sister, brother-in-law, nephews moved to Maryland. Okay. And then... Um, grandma and papa steve they had they bought a mountain house beautiful area up on the new river um and then they were kind of half and half back and forth all the time and then they decided to sell their charlotte home and move up there and so within three years i think it was about three years like we had moved here and then it was just us yeah <laughs> not a bad place to be no though. man and that's the thing we've been here 11 years longest we've ever stayed any single spot yeah you know, other than growing up yeah so. we this was our very first move so we spent 38 years in michigan this was our very first move mm -hmm. and you do you start getting you know and we were talking about this before it's just kind of in our personality and you start getting this itch and you know i'm i'm starting to feel it a little bit like there. <laughs> A change is coming. What's next? I just don't know what's next. The change is coming. Well, the age of the kids affects that too. Yep. Yep. So, you know, my daughter's a junior and then my son will be going to NC State in the spring. And so at that point, um, I just need to see what they're doing because I feel like as a family, we're getting closer and closer mm -hmm. and we're building those bonds, you know, and I can just feel it and tell in the conversations, you know, that you have with your kids and how they react and how they reach out to you. And I'm like, I don't want to destroy that. So it'll really depend on, on what they do and where yeah. they go and, you know, and, and putting that selfishness aside for a little bit and kind of see, what they want to do right and i think anyone listening who has like teenager kids can identify with not only what you're saying but there's this author i heard say this one time in a podcast that she has where she said man what a what a curse like what a what a cruel thing that right when our kids are getting to be the people that we just man we really would just love to just hang out with these people they're finally so cool yeah they yeah. leave. They leave. <laughs> like, what a bummer. Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, 
It, it's the whole thing of, of being a parent and being a friend. And we were probably more so on the parent mm-hmm. side and yeah. the, yeah. and it, and maybe too much, maybe you're, you know, teaching, trying to teach the lessons a little harder than, than feeling the emotions or looking at the emotions and how the kid was growing up. But you were like, well, but I've got to, you've got to be responsible because the world isn't going to wait for you and the world isn't going to step there and hold your hand. So, um, I think that had an effect, but, but now I look at it and I don't, I don't watch my kids report cards. I don't watch what they do. They pass, they, they do well. I don't call them up and wake them up to go to work. I don't do all that <laughs> right, stuff, right, right? Right. And that's and that's where I see like okay, I kind of had to be a jerk, you know, yeah. and for their own good. Yeah. And they're not going to realize it and I well, I had a conversation with my son and and it's weird um when they react to you and they're like yeah but this is what you did and this is what you said and this is and i was like okay well i can see where i was wrong here mm-hmm. and and i can apologize and i said let's do a, a do-over and he's like okay and so i call my daughter and it's funny now you reach out to your your kids i call my daughter and she just turned 21 i was like listen i had this conversation with robert and i don't really know what to do and how to handle it and she's like gave me some of the best advice (laughs) and calmed me down and she said he just they just don't know yet until they get out and until they meet people outside of this bubble that we've raised them in and see how fortunate they are and how they have both parents and how they have this. And she goes, you don't know that until you get out there and figure it out. And I was like, God bless you. 20 years old. I know, you know, educating us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I talked recently, I was speaking to a group of students and I was just talking about, man, like it's, it's, it seems like, you know, there's the story of Buddha and Siddhartha, like when he was young, the legend says like what his parents removed every bit of suffering. So he never experienced suffering. He never saw suffering. Like even as his tutors aged, they would be removed and replaced with younger tutors. So he didn't even really know the concept that people died. That, and that's, so that's why he was so shocked when he snuck out of the palace and saw suffering everywhere. And he just was ill prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And then I told him about the children of Sparta, <laughs> you know, where literally they're adding obstacles. They're creating obstacles to put in the path of these kids to prepare them for some unbelievably harsh warlike civilization. And somewhere in between, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, somewhere in between right. is where we have to exist as parents. We can't remove every obstacle for them. They learn nothing, right? but man, we can't make their lives living hell that, you know, they no. want to be around us. Right. Because the second they can leave, they're like, <laughs> peace, adios, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you came to Charlotte, did you go back into teaching? Yeah. So I ended up teaching at a middle school down here in Waxhaw uh, for three years and loved it. I was loving it. Um, but one of the things that was happening simultaneously, you know, we're around the family that we moved here to be near, um, the church that we were attending over in Matthews, I started volunteering with their middle and high school students over there and started hosting in front of them and speaking, 
um, and hanging out with a group of um, middle and high school guys. And it wasn't it, like during those three years, I began having conversations with one of the guys that works there that's over all of family ministries. And he started kind of talking, picking my brain, man, would you ever think about coming to work for a church? Like, would you ever think about coming and running a youth ministry? I was like, nope, never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but while I'm teaching, I am thinking about that. And there's so many students that I have while I'm teaching them history. I, w- I can see things in their lives. I wish I had the ability or was in a proper place, you know, to speak to them about this thing with that, their friend or with their girlfriend or with substance or, or with their parents or just life. Mm-hmm. But I was there to teach them history. You know, yeah. it's not a place of a teacher to do that. Um, and so I just, I, I developed friendships with a lot of these students and there's still a group of guys that, you know, graduated from the high school that when they're home, like when they come back from school and some of our, a couple of them are in Arizona and some, they live all over. Um, they will come by my house. Like they still do these guys from the middle school where I taught. Cause I became close enough friends with them where we'd throw Frisbee at lunch or whatever. And then we'd hang out, um, some after school and we were on the DC trip together on the same bus, you know, and all that. And so you end up having a little bit more of those friendship influence kind of conversations. And, uh, I don't know, develop some great friendships, but with most of my students, I'd never had the opportunity to speak about life with them. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw that as an opportunity to do that. Never imagined working for a church. And Jen, my wife will tell you, she is not pastor wife material. That was her line. I am not pastor wife material, you know? And so we tried to figure it out. And so I was there eight years. Yeah. yeah. So we ended up going and you know, the number of kids grew. Um, it's, you know, man, the South churches everywhere. Right. And, yep. and, and some of the churches now are so huge. So, the fact, you know, we had like 125 some odd middle high school students that would come through on a Sunday. And like I had a team of 40, about about 40 volunteers that, you know, I was in charge of and had directors over each of those areas. It was a pretty complex little thing, but not big in comparison to so many churches in the South. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but still, it was daunting for me. Yeah. Um, to I, You know, I worked with students and I ended up getting into a job where I was still speaking to students about life and all of that. But primarily I was leading and equipping and encouraging volunteers to lead students. So I okay. ended up becoming really I had to learn a lot about leadership and about strategy and about how to think about how to lead people. Um, and I never thought I had anything to offer adults. Yeah. You know, I'd worked with kids and I mean, I, at least I, I think I know mo- more at least than most of these kids. Adults, I don't think that I know more than most people. And so it was a, it was a really interesting transition, but it developed a lot of skills in me and a lot of um, perspectives I never would have developed otherwise. Did you find that it was, did you, did you think that you were taking that position to work a little more hands-on with kids? And then as it grew, it pulled you away from something that you really loved and then you were a manager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a, you get into something. Yeah. Because of this passion and then inevitably, I don't care whoever's listening, whatever you do, if it becomes successful, it grows in complexity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And as it became more successful, I I was moving, I found myself moving further and further away from the thing that I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and some people thrive on that and they thrive on that complexity. And what we were talking about before and how we're very similar as something grows and progresses and gets bigger, all of a sudden we start going like, Oh, I don't know if I really like that anymore. Or it's time for a a change. You know, what's, what's next. And so you, you got to your what's next 
How long did it take? Were you kind of in that struggle of, I think it's time for me to, to move on or were you in that struggle and then just something popped up and you were like, yeah, it, it was both. So I had been, so I would say, you know, I, I just stopped working for Ridge at the end of August. Mm-hmm. So this is still pretty fresh when I officially stepped off staff. We started making that decision, like I mentioned earlier, back in July, having the conversations around what would it look like for me to step off of staff. But for the past two or three, like probably at least two years prior to that, maybe three, Jen and I were in pretty consistent conversation. We're, we're not afraid to take leaps Um Thankfully, I don't know why that is, you know, I just feel like things are going to be okay. And mm-hmm. Jen and I play this game like we did when we moved to Colorado without jobs. And then we played the game again when we moved here. We didn't have jobs. When we moved to Charlotte. We just thought we'll move here. We have family here. What's worst case scenario? And so we play the worst, worst case scenario game. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, worst case scenario, man, I, I do a lot of home improvement stuff. You know, I bet I could get a job at Lowe's. And you would, you're such, you're so great with people. Like you could work at a coffee shop or like, who knows what, you know, like we don't get teaching jobs. We'll figure it out. Like it'll be okay. And so we play worst case scenario. So it was that, I mean, we just kind of, we started having this feeling where like what you're talking about this, it's gotten to a certain place and I can't quite put my finger on it. There's so much I love about this. So many people that I love about it, like what it's doing for these students that have a place where there's hope and people that care for them and speak life into them. It's, it's doing great things. But this jacket doesn't fit quite right. I can't figure out what it is. It's too tight in the shoulders or if the sleeves aren't quite like I can't figure out exactly, but it's a little ill fitting. And so we just started having those conversations like, well, let's give it this year and see what how this feels, how this goes, how these events go. And then boom, it was and then COVID hit. And I wasn't going to leave these students and these volunteers and these families in the middle of man, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I'm watching all these people, you know, suffer and be isolated and yeah. like not sure what's next. And the thing I was feeling with my job, they were feeling some of them, you know, tenfold with their jobs, trying to figure out how do you do that job when it with everybody locked down, what's the future of my whole industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, so, I, so we just hung on and then we took our 20th anniversary trip to Washington And so we went out to the Washington coast and stayed right there and went all through Olympic national park and, you know, doing what we do and, um, and just having these real honest conversations. How's this working? Like what's good, what's not good. And like, you know, I think it is time for a change. I'm gonna go back and have a conversation with these guys and see if I can, I'm gonna take a leave if they'll give me a leave. And then maybe at the end of those eight weeks, if I can get eight weeks, that'd be amazing. Maybe I'll have more clarity Mm -hmm. if this really should end now. Um, and yeah, and, it, and it, we came back and we tried to, and we figured out a, a version of my job so that I stayed on trying to do it. But then because of the pandemic, because of lockdown, all of that, man, church attendance all over is just, is in decline. You know, um, people are attending less often. People will, I mean, man, who, think about this. Okay. Let's say you're a regular church attender and suddenly you're not having church every Sunday, but then what you notice is your life isn't that different. Mm-hmm you notice that, huh, like watching online or getting together with these friends and having life-giving conversations with friends or maybe even around things of faith or around like how your marriage is going and having, if you can have like, you know, those authentic conversations, huh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't need to go as often as I thought I did. 
And so I think fewer and fewer people have returned. I don't know if that trend's going to continue. I think that there's something about being in a gathering with people of like mind and having some, I think that's what happens at a concert. Mm -hmm. I think you go and you're all enjoying something together and it's different than if it were just you sitting and having a private concert with the band. Yeah. Like how cool would that be? But very different than being in a group of people that are experiencing and feeling the same things you're feeling. And so I, I think that there will be a time where people will, it just may be smaller gatherings. I think yeah. perhaps that the, the, the age of the mega church, it might be over. Yeah. I think, you know, that like people just like people want to be with smaller groups of people and be, have more control of their time. Yeah. And so because giving was down and attendance is down at the church, reorg started happening because they only have so much money. Mm -hmm. And so I would need to take on more jobs, you know, cause my responsibilities with the number of people I was over was shrinking. So let's add this so we can keep you on full time. They wanted to keep me on full time. And it was just like, yeah, there's that. That's that's the sign. I was that looking was your, for something to make it clear. Yeah, it's this is clear. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't. Because I shouldn't deep down that. in your mind, you knew that even with this eight weeks of leave or even with your your decision was kind of was there. Yeah. You were just waiting for that that push off. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, it's it is very fortunate and you are, are fortunate, I am fortunate to have um, a wife <laughs> yeah. that is not only your wife, but is your like, your best friend, your yeah. keystone, like that is the person. And we, we have these conversations where, you know, if for some reason we lost that person, it would be, it would be devastating, right? Yeah. And people say you just move on and you go on. I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, we're very fortunate, and people are. You'll hear the whole thing of marriages. Marriage is tough. Marriage is a job. Marriage. Is, I never felt that way. Yeah. You know, and not to, not to like gloat, but I was. I'm very fortunate. Yeah. You know, and very grateful that I have that person and that person like you have with Jen that can, can take you and say, we'll figure this out. Yeah. What's the worst we case scenario? Let's, let's play worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So now what are you doing now? So now you're <laughs> a big, you know, yeah. change. It's, it's yeah. Big change. So because I mean, you know, in any kind of like job, like particularly working for a church or, Let's say you were, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other things, something that would be analogous to that, but you have a, a big, you know, a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's just a, it's a giant network. I mean, it's all about connection, about knowing and caring for one another and being available to one another. So man, I just had a big, a, a, a large group of people that kind of knew what was going on with me. Um, and I thankfully saw value in, in, in me and my skill set and what I, what I bring and um, someone that I had known for since we showed up at Ridge 11 years ago, um, we had been in small group with her. Uh, I've known her family. Her sons came through the student ministry. Her oldest son um, was he not only um, came through the middle school, but as a high school student, his senior year, um, he started um, helping lead a group of middle school guys. So he came back and was starting to hang out with and encourage and like walk alongside these middle school boys. And uh and then he got he graduated from his high school, got into uh, UNC Chapel Hill, like brilliant kid, um, swimmer, all this stuff. And uh, but took his life um, the fall of his freshman year. Hmm. And um, 
And the reason I tell you all that is because out of that tragedy, my friend Whitney, uh, as you might imagine, it sent her life spinning like yeah. for, for a period of time, but not as long as a lot of people I've seen. She, she ended up, um, I don't know, I guess, I don't know what can be done about this is where she went with it, with that energy and that grief. And, and I mean, the pain that she, and, and everybody experiences it differently. Her, her other two sons experience it very differently. Her husband, you know, they all were dealing with it in their own ways as we do, but she ended up just, Oh, this can't be like this. Like what happened to Tyler can't happen. We got to slow this down. We've got to, there's got to be some way to, to change this trajectory. This is becoming way too common. Mm -hmm. And so she started literally traveling the country, attending every conference she could possibly find on, on mental health, on suicide prevention, on, uh, trends of mental health and mental illness in students and correlations between, you know, certain, um, demographics and suicide and all of these things, just, just a sponge. She became a sponge soaking it all up, trying to figure out what, what am I going to do with this? And, uh, and so a year ago, a little over a year ago, she ended up meeting with some students at the high school where her son went, who were affiliated friends through families, et cetera. And there were a couple of girls that she started meeting with in a small group kind of fashion. Like they were having some struggles or whatever. And she just started meeting with them at her house Sunday afternoons. And then they started saying, Hey, can I invite so-and-so? Can I invite this? And then before you know, it's about a group of nine, 10 students that are meeting on Sunday afternoons at her house. And they're all from this one high school. And she started not only just like caring for them and like kind of what's, what's troubling you. She had something called question cup. She'd pull little questions out and, uh, and the, the question would be like, what's keeping you awake at night? What's the one thing you don't want me to ask you about? Like, um, what's one person that has, um, you know, in, in like positively impacted your life and how, and so these kind of, so the, as you have those kind of conversations together, you, it, I don't know, you just, as you become vulnerable, you become closer with people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and then she had fun and then she just started taking them through some leadership development stuff. She had them do strength finders so they could have this peek into like, where is your natural wiring and that kind of stuff. And some personality temperament stuff, some Enneagram stuff, mm -hmm. and, um, just helping them know themselves a little better. And then from there, uh, they all decided together, we can't be the only people at this high school that's experiencing this. Like we've got to do something about this. So they decided to create something at the high school that would have the opportunity for there to be peer led small groups that would meet at this high school. And so about a little over a year ago, they reached out to me because I've been a teacher, then I've been a student pastor man, you work with groups a lot. Will you help work with our students? So they had divided those 10 students up into small teams, communications, curriculum, group dynamics, or um, uh, training. And uh, they had them reach out to professionals saying, will you help us create this program at our high school for small groups? And so they called me in along with a, um, a local um therapist and we did group dynamics with them and trained them how to train students on group dynamics. And then they recruited small group leaders and we did the training via zoom because it's again, you know, during COVID and we talked to these kids about confidentiality and, and group management and, um, unconditional positive regard, whether you like the kid or not, like show them kindness and care and acknowledge what they said and how to foster what they had experienced. Like how can you recreate for them what you've experienced with Whitney? Out of that grew this thing called Students for Students. And so it's it's part of a nonprofit that has two pieces. 
and Whitney, because I've known her for 11 years and we've been in small group, we've known one another, I've known her sons and her family. She just kind of said, hey, would you think about, what would you think about coming to work for me? Like this, this nonprofit is just, I mean, we, it is literally, we just created it. Yeah. But I need help with strategy. I need help with how to best communicate with these students and, and to think and just to help dream this thing up. And uh, it was a, a, a part-time offering at first. And then I was like, man, I, I can't do a part-time offering. I think I'll probably go back to teaching because mm-hmm. I had a couple of offers to go back to some schools. And uh, yeah, and they changed it. They're like, you know what? I don't know why we're putting this off. Like, we'll hire you full-time. And we've built in like, I don't know. It's, it's just exciting, this job description. We don't even know what the job title is yet. I've yeah. labeled myself. I, I'm like director of student engagement. <laughs> it sounds official, but I mean, I go and I speak to these students. And just yesterday we had an event um, at that high school on the second part of the nonprofit, which is called Launch. And it's just for seniors. It's preparing them for that transition to college. And so our tagline is, you know, helping or preparing students for what's next. Mm-hmm. And so we brought in a couple of guys that are yoga instructors and kind of just said, hey, you guys, you know, you're doing your like the deadlines for college applications have either just passed or are coming very soon. Um, it's the middle of fall, like anxiety about the transition to college, you know, not only now, but you're going to have all this transition later. Emotions are real. Stress is real. Here's a couple of tools through breathing and through movement that maybe in those moments, if you take eight, 10, 15 minutes, it could dramatically affect the way that you feel and you're, you're perceiving your circumstances. And so, yeah, so now I've been on seven weeks, something, eight weeks mm-hmm. and have been thrown into this world of, you know, it's not like it wasn't an interest of mine. I've just never looked at it specifically through mental wellness. I've, you know, and it's not just, I guess, cause it is holistic wellness, but I mean, I'm thrown into this world of man, who are the professionals we can call on and bring in and help equip these kids with tools so that suicide is not an option. And these, they feel better. They, they feel capable. Mm-hmm. They have, they have resilience in face of all the stuff that life's throwing at them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to teach them how to deal with it. Yeah. Right. Because it's real. And yeah. and what we talked about before when we were growing up and I still, I still equate it to, you know, a garbage can that's overflowing and you just stick your foot down in there and you push it down and put the lid back on yeah. and go about your day. Yeah. And, you know, the kids, uh, I'm glad that they, are they have somewhere to go yeah because you know i just raised and i'm still raising it's not over (laughs) but you know she's 21 and my son is 18 and all those emotions that they've had through high school and i i kind of looked up the top 10 things teenagers struggle with and you look at acceptance and these are just simple little things that we take for granted stress and we go what are you stressed about? You don't, there's nothing to be stressed about. Wait till you go to work. Yeah. Then you're going to have stress. Bad. Not the thing they want to hear. Yes, not, right? not helpful. There's no empathy. <laughs> um, depression and anxiety. Yeah. Uh, self-harm. Bullying. Desensitization. Because there's so much out there. Oh my gosh. Whether it be to violence or to sex or to drinking. You know, um, then there's sex disrespect, Hmm. uh, trust 
and they have trust issues and motivation, then how, how are they going to be motivated? You know, and this was just one top 10 list that I pulled, but a lot of them are the same and roll over. Um, and except it's it, one of the things that I learned as a parent was empathy. And I was not always sweet Rob, right? <laughs> so when I came out of high school and I had, I didn't know where I was going. And then finally, you know, I met Nicole and off we went. And then I get on the fire department, on the fire department there. I felt like I had to to be the, the first hit so I didn't take multiple hits. So I was, I was mean sometimes. I would cut you down. I was a bully. I was a bully. And I didn't really realize that until I left. And then I started reflecting. And then even within that job, you should have more empathy. And I didn't have the empathy. And I didn't really realize that till it was my daughter. And the reason I say a lot of this stuff is because as we as parents, and you'll see that, and I'm sure that your eyes are wide open to the way that the parents parent these kids. And you try to parent them and you move them to places of success because you want them to be successful. But in doing so, it poses not only the challenges that these kids have every day going to school and with their peers, but now it challenges them at home. And when their home is supposed to be their safe spot, that's where they we go, doesn't matter what they say. You you do you be you, you know? They don't want that. They want they want to just be heard. Mm-hmm. And I was always a fixer. I'm gonna fix it. Yep. I'm gonna fix I'll fix you. This is how you do it. They didn't want to fix her. They wanted empathy. And it's, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a kid. Man. Nowadays, the first time, so the school that um, the kids went to and they graduated from, they had a report card. And thank God we didn't have this in my school because it would have crushed me. <laughs> they rank these poor kids. They have a ranking. That shows on, up on the report on card? On the report card that you are number 25 out of let's say 400 students so you already feel like crap because you know you're struggling and you know you're not living up to what your parents want you to be and now you get a report card that says you're a piece of crap i was blown away by that i think that's wrong and these kids these kids have enough going on to have a rank on your report card. Oh yeah. And to live in a world where let's say it's 25, it still makes you feel shitty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because you're like, dude, I'm working I'm working as hard. I'm giving it literally everything I've got and I'm still at, not at the top. Mm-mm. And that that brutal realization. And the thing <laughs> and constant is, comparison. Yeah, and and telling kids and asking them and I'm guilty of it too and not so much anymore, but what are you going to do? What are you going to major in? And the colleges that make them pick their major before they, they or arrive. as they're applying. Yeah. What do you mean, my major? I've had, I've had four or five majors ever since <laughs> high school, and trying to figure it out. And, yeah. you know, coming out of high school, with you had a what a one seven? Yeah. I think I had like a two two. It was such a short period of time yeah. in life. Yeah. And 
it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything now. Right. Um, do you feel like, say, so when you were talking about the two, it was girls that came, you know, to Whitney and started yeah. there. Um, do you see it being more girls or do you see boys starting to come and ask for help? Uh, it's definitely both, but it is predominantly girls. Yeah. They're, they, they continue to be despite, you know, we live in an age that's really trying to get rid of all these stereotypes, mm -hmm. but that is one that seems to be persistent as girls are, seem to be far more willing to have those conversations about what's really going on or around what they're really feeling or struggling with. And I think you and I, you know, we want to have, we want to look like we have it together. We want yeah. to, and certainly, or maybe even lie to ourselves and tell us that we have it together. Right. You know, even though we know, like, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing now. I don't know, and do I, yeah. I don't know what's next. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough for what's next. And I feel like boys, you know, they, they don't want to show their vulnerability. Sure. Especially if they're super successful you know as an athlete or as a student and they hide that and they bury their struggles and um i think more parents need to be able to recognize that or you know every now and then just ask them how are they how are you doing yeah well it's funny you and i were talking before we started recording and um there's two things that I always think about when it comes to parenting. And I, I wish every parent could think this way. Now, having been, I, I, we were doing, um, kind of thinking about how are Whitney and I, um, positions, like what are our, what is our experience in order to run this, you know, this organization, et cetera. And I was just kind of just calculating how many hours have I spent with students? And so it's, it's getting close to 17,000 hours or something like that, that I have been in contact with students through teaching and, small group leader and, you know, and, and a student pastor. And so just being around students and watching them and then hearing them talk about their parents and watching them interact with their parents around a variety of things from grades to, you know, having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend or like being caught smoking weed or skipping school or having to pick them up from jail or just fighting and being me being put on the phone and talking to the mom and saying, okay, now put him on the phone. And she'd literally pass the phone through the door and talking to him. This is what your mom's feeling is what she's thinking or whatever. What do you want me to tell your mom? And then literally just on the phone being a mediary, you know, or whatever mediator, I guess, between these two, you know, and I've been in all kinds of situations. Um, but is I heard this phrase and it's just so helpful to parent with the relationship in mind. Mm -hmm. Like we want our kids to be successful without question. We want them to succeed. We want to fix, particularly, I feel like dads, I know I'm so guilty of this. We want to come in and be like, well, this is what you need to do. Yep. But thinking, how can I respond in this situation, despite how angry I am, despite how disappointed I am, that remembers what it was like to be a kid and to have a kid brain and to know that when this is all over, when they leave home and go off to NC State, I want them to want to come back. I want them to want to reach out to me. I don't want them to see my phone pop or my name pop up on their phone and not want to answer and feel that, ugh, what's dad mm -hmm. gonna complain about or what is he gonna like, what, you know, I don't know, what coaching is he gonna give me right. now? Um, but think, yeah, this is a moment. They, they did something wrong, <laughs> but really, how can I parent through this moment so that when this is all over, that we still, our relationship is still intact. I haven't damaged our relationship. Mm -hmm. That was one piece. And the other piece was this, and this is what you and I were talking about was 
that I did a talk a couple of years ago, and it was based on this like Harvard Business Review article that I read around the success of these certain sales teams and these teams in this business. And they had done a study on the ratio of positive things that are said to us generally, just in conversation at work, at school, and family, versus negative things that are said to us. And that in the study that they did, that there was typically for every positive comment that you get, oh, you did a great job on that. There are six either words or looks or uh, messages of criticism that we receive. And that, that ratio of one positive to six negative is just pervasive. It's everywhere in our workplace and schools and like, you know, and all of that. And that the teams that were doing the best at the business in this, this article that I read, the ones that performed best were the ones where they, the, the managers, the leaders had flipped that ratio. They spent more time talking about how are you doing and checking in that way um, rather than what are you doing. Yeah. And, and as a response, those people would do anything for their leaders. They felt supported. They felt loved. They wouldn't take other jobs despite potential pay increases at the other places because they were they did not want to give up what they were experiencing in that place. And I think as parents, as teachers, as whatever, whoever we're interacting with, there's something to learn there, I think. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's magical. I think when I grew up, um, I, I left Florida. We were I was going to go to work with my dad. And, you know, it, I, I think about this and it probably was just kind of built up and he was doing what he thought was right. And this is what you should do, Robert. And this is what you have to do. And this is where you need to go. And I came over one day and I, I was already depressed. You know, I felt like I was lost and I'm living there in Florida, I'm eating cake for breakfast, <laughs> just, you know, depressed. And I came home and or to work and he said you know you need to shave why are you you look like that you need to shave and it was like how i was like i'm done here hmm. and and i left i moved back to michigan and it was it was over that and i was like i never want to make that mistake hmm. and i wasn't he just thought he was doing what he was doing like he was helping me and and as a parent you look at that and you think, I'm just trying to help them and I'm trying to prepare them. And then you you don't feel, you don't know what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to that whole thing and of being, showing empathy and having six remarks and they don't have to be fake right. remarks. Yeah. So they're not like, oh God, you're just, you're the greatest. They're like, it, it's, how's your family today? How are your kids doing? Yeah. You know, how are things going? Everything good at home? Everything am I doing? Do you need anything from me? Yeah. How I like can I help shoes. you? Oh, new haircut. I, you look great, man. Little things like it can be just it, the things you notice. Yep. And, you know, and I listened to that and when we talked about this, um, it really resonated with me because I have a lot of those feelings and everybody does throughout the day. And you think about your kids and you think about your wife and you think about your friends, but you don't say it. Hmm. But you go, did you wake up for work on time? You always say those. <laughs> did you, you know, would you get on your test? And you may be asking because you're like curious, yeah. but they hear it as, here we go again. Yep. Or, you know, yeah. And it's crazy. I think like in that talk that I gave, 
I said, sadly, the only place we do this where we're super generous with our compliments, with our words, is at funerals when the person's not even there yeah. to hear it, dude. That's when we wait around to share all these great things. Of how special how this special. person was. We don't was. talk about, because, man, yeah, were they, were they late all the time? Yeah, you know, did they not shave sometimes and look a little dumpy? Yeah. yeah. But you don't spend time talking about that stuff at a funeral. You talk about all the good stuff. All the good stuff. <laughs> we so, save it for the end. We save it for the end. Oh, <laughs> that was powerful. It. it was powerful because, yeah, like every parent, like you and me, we still see, it, we can go back to the struggles that kids face, you know, within social media. Like everybody goes, points back to depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and self-worth um, and acceptance. And you can point a lot to social media. Mm -hmm. And um, I as 49 year old and I watch social media and I look at it and I put stuff on there for work and I look and I see other people camping and hiking <laughs> and having great outings with their kids and doing that. It affects me as a 49 year old. Now take that as a 16 year old, not knowing who the heck they are and putting all this there and all this in front of them and leading them. And then they don't understand at that point, the harm that is that that is doing to right. them. Right. And, um, and I, it's just different conversations that we have to have and that you, you guys are doing to help lead these kids and hopefully and yeah. help them. Yeah. Like what's your, do you guys have a, a goal for this and not necessarily a goal of, Hey, I want to be in 50 schools, but do you have a vision? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's already started happening. So from last year when Whitney piloted this with that group of students and it started as a soft launch last spring, I think there were 70 students. We trained right around 20 some odd small group leaders students to go in and lead these, these small groups. We gave them a curriculum around gratitude, around um, stress management, around some topics that were helpful, healthy relationships, just some conversation things to, so as they could work through some of this stuff together, um, what is it called? Um, roses and thorns, like, you know, what are the good things from the day? What are the tough things from the day? And mm -hmm. then there's like something rosebud where it's like, hey, um, what's what's something coming that you're looking forward to? You know, just having these opportunities to reflect with one another. So we there was about 70 kids, including leaders last year. This year, it's doubled. There's right around 150 students that are already like signed up this year. A lot of the students participated in the soft launch, not only um, signed up to be in groups again, but wanted to help lead groups this year. So we've trained 51 small group leaders this year. And so it's growing in this school. And I think Whitney and I are trying to figure out, obviously this has worth, it has value. It's creating community. It's creating um, acceptance. And they're hearing these words of affirmation. They're hearing even the little thing, like I said before about the shoes or the nod or like, I like your outfit today in the hallway. Or even if an upperclassman just looked at you and you were walking down the hallway and was just like, hey, what's up? And it's Rob, what's up, Rob? Yeah. And your friends heard this upperclassman say that to you, you know, be like, how do you know him? Like you, you walk taller, bro. This, the senior just said, what's up to you. Yeah. It changes the way these kids experience school. And so it's been fun to meet. We're, we're meeting also once a month with the leaders of these groups. And we had a meeting on Tuesday, the very first one, how's, how are groups going? What's working? What's not? Let's celebrate. Where are you seeing this help? So it's, I mean, the, it's starting to catch, like there's something that's happening in the culture at this school. And what Whitney and I are trying to figure out is um, how do, how is this, 
How can we export this in a sustainable way, in a helpful way, and bring this potentially into other schools so that it's not obviously just in the same way that group said, hey, we can't be the only group that experiences this. Our, other, our peers have to experience it. Other students need to have something like this. And so, yeah, part of the reason she brought me on is how can we package this in a way that it doesn't add something extra to a teacher's plate right. or an administrator's plate. No, I, you know, having been a teacher and no, having lots of friends that are now that were teachers that taught with me that are now administrators, man, they don't need anything more to do. Yep. But how could we come in and add some value and, and not stress, but create something beautiful in these schools and for these students? And so, man, like I said, you know, we're seven weeks in, like she's been working on it for a year. It's a working model, but I don't know. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like to go to other schools. So the vision is, yeah, it has to, it has to grow. More people have to experience this, how that's going to happen. That's what we're trying to figure trying out. to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be different chapters, you yeah. know, and the chapter leader Yeah. and brings these kids. Yeah. And I think, it, I, you know, when I heard it and I read it, I was like, this is amazing. Mm. Like I thought you guys are, are doing something for these kids that is not necessarily, you know, I have to go, dad, I want to go to a therapist, mm -hmm. you know, and that could lead from it, but it gives them that first step of how are you guys yeah. feeling? Because on the outside, like I said, it looks like everybody has this great everybody's winning yeah and these kids are they struggle We're struggling just like okay. you and i are struggling yeah yeah yep. you know like, like I, what? this event yesterday when i was up and you know introducing these yoga guys and here i am with all these hundreds of seniors yeah the that morning man i like i had two or three hours before the event and i just kept thinking about it you know like am i going to do a good job is this going to be good i really want this to be successful i i don't want to look like an idiot i want it to be helpful yep. you know we have these doubts everybody's just struggling everybody's wondering yeah and there's there is that that stress that is a needed stress yeah to make you go i want this to be good and even prepare. on all these podcasts and the guests that i come i'm like i don't want to waste this person's time hopefully it's good and yeah. you you have that stress yeah. but that's a good yeah. stress but then there's so much out there that is nonsense that kids don't know like I said, they just don't know who to turn to and, and where to go. Yeah. And I really, I applaud you guys. Man, thanks. For doing this. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited for what it is. Yep. And hopefully what it, what it could be. Yeah. Now, how can people, how can people find you guys or yeah. how can people reach out if, if they're like, I would love to, you know, help or I, maybe I have value. Maybe I have some ideas. How do they reach out to you? Yeah. Guys? So, um, like on Instagram is probably the primary way right now. We're in the, like I said, since we're building this thing, there are websites in development. Um, there is a students for students website. Um, but it's the only one we're building another one. Cause the umbrella, like kind of organizations called eyes up for life and students for students and launch those two programs I've talked about are kind of expressions of that umbrella kind of um, of nonprofit because that's when, when Tyler died, they had to do some people were crazy generous to them and they had to have some place to put this money. Mm. And so they created eyes up for life. And it's from there that students for students kind of happened and now launch is happening. Uh, but honestly, right now, Instagram is one way. And I don't know if you have notes in your podcast, but maybe we could, we can drop the, the at in there, okay. but students for students, um, at Charlotte Latin. And then we have a global students for students, like Instagram feed where you can follow and 
right now, <clears throat> excuse me, Charlotte Latin Launch is the other Instagram feed. So we have okay. one for students for students for the small group culture, and we have one for the college preparedness called Launch. And okay. So those are those two things, and maybe we can drop those in the notes or something yeah. like that. Yep, because I know that there are people waiting and willing and yeah. would help it, you know, yeah. at any opportunity. Yeah. Because people, you know, for every for every one bad person out there, there's 20 people that are willing to give and get out there and work. We're yeah. we're amazing. Yeah, but we don't focus on the that. No, we just look <laughs> at that. It's too easy to focus on the on the negative on the little negative one. Yeah. So, um Thanks, man. This yeah, was a good conversation. This is great. This yeah, is great. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just good to see you, man. Good to I sit know. here with you. I know. Catch up. What's your day like today? Chilling? Headed to a lunch meeting, actually talking about um, the branding and uh, the logo, et cetera, and the website for for this stuff, actually. Okay. Yeah, with a designer. And then um, videographer around how to capture some of these stories of these students that have experienced this. Good. And maybe even parents, like what parents have seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, you can get start getting the parents to understand the different challenges right that would be amazing yeah and because you know it's it's our ignorance yeah. it's our busy days it's our yep. busy lifestyles it's our work and two people working and the kids doing this and it comes down to a point of of ignorance and um and, and we slowing don't down. see it yeah and it's slowing, slowing down, down a and second. thinking about for a second what does it look like from where you're sitting yep like how do you see this this experience because it's obviously different than how i see it yeah yep so awesome thanks man yeah bro all right see you bud thank you very much for listening to this episode of beyond grit with your host me robert young if you've enjoyed today's episode please subscribe rate and review tell somebody about it you can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.